0: The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today we come to the holiest week of the year, this Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. We begin our meditation on Jesus' journey into his Passion and to his cross. Paul said, I preach one thing. Christ and Him crucified. Here we come to the holiest time of the year because here we come to that one thing. What the incarnation was about, Jesus coming to the cross, nailing our sins to the cross that He might save us. The church proposes, as you know, on Palm Sunday, a reading of the Passion narrative from Matthew, Mark, or Luke. This year it's from Luke. One theologian said that the Gospels really are passion narratives with long introductions. That means that what they're really all about are these beautiful narratives, these beautiful stories of how Jesus comes to his cross and resurrection. So what I want to do today is spend some time meditating, especially on Luke's version of the passion that we read for this cycle of Lent. What's the momentum of the Incarnation? So God's own son, God's own word becomes flesh. His momentum is a downward momentum, by which I mean, his purpose is to bring from heaven God's love and God's compassion and God's power, especially to those people and places that are far from it. His purpose is not like the Greek and Roman gods, to remain up transcendent at their own realm but rather to come down down into all those dark places that are far from God's love and God's grace and so you remember at the beginning of Jesus public ministry he stands shoulder to shoulder with sinners in the muddy waters of the Jordan in that shocking and scandalous scene and it did scandalize the first Christians Because why would Jesus, the sinless one, seek a baptism of repentance, of forgiveness? And yet there he is, shoulder to shoulder with us sinners. That's why he's come. He's come to go down into our condition and to share it. Remember when he was accused of eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus said, look, I've come not for those who are healthy. I've come for the sick. Not for the righteous, but for sinners. He's a healer of souls. And so the momentum of the incarnation is downward into our fallen and dark and painful and sinful human condition. Christians, it's this momentum that carries him all the way to the cross. Because what is the darkest place? What do we fear the most? Death itself. And so that's where the Son of God has to go. Death broods over much of human life. We're so afraid of it that it turns us inward on ourselves. And that, in turn, produces sin. Augustine knew that. Somehow the fear of death is what conditions sin. Therefore, that's where Jesus had to go in order to free us from sin. The passion narrative is this terrible and awful account of how Jesus goes down to this darkest of places. Let me look just at a few moments in this process. The Passion narratives begin with the Last Supper. Jesus gathering with his disciples the night before he dies. What does he do? He takes bread, and he says, This is my body given for you. Then he takes the cup, and this is the cup of my blood that will be poured out for you. Jesus, the night before he dies, sums up his whole life, his whole purpose and identity. Notice how different this is from so many other hero myths. In so many of the stories of great heroes, their lives come to its, their high point in great moments of victory, conquest. Our hero sums up his life, not in a moment of conquest, but in this great act of giving himself away in love. He's body broken for us. He's blood poured out for us. Not when he grasps at things, but rather when he gives his whole life away. That's when he sums up and how he sums up his life. After the supper, Jesus leaves his disciples to the garden, Garden of Gethsemane. And here, of course, is one of the most dramatic scenes in the New Testament. First, he isolates himself. He leaves the mass of his disciples behind, takes Peter, James, and John a little further, then leaves them behind. And then, alone, he enters into his agony. What Jesus is doing here, according to all the great spiritual masters is he is entering into the experience of sin. Notice, please, not becoming a sinner, but entering into the experience of the sinner. Jesus is feeling what it's like to be isolated from God. Hence his loneliness. How often in our sin we lock ourselves into a lonely place. And then he's pressed to the ground. And his sweat falls like drops of blood, Luke tells us. What he's sensing here is the agony of the sinner. The pain of isolation. The pain of rejection. Now why? That he might bring into that darkest place God's presence and God's love. After the agony in the garden, Jesus is arrested, betrayed by one of his own, abandoned by his disciples, arrested by the representatives of his own people, and then he is tossed around. There's a wonderful word in the Greek there, paradidonai. It means handed over. The temple guard arrest him, and they hand him over to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin hands him over to Pilate, who hands him over to Herod, who hands him back to Pilate, who then hands him over to be crucified. Why is that word repeated over and over again? It's as though Jesus, like all sinners, is tossed around. Not in control, tossed from place to place. Again, not becoming a sinner himself, but entering into the experience of sin, unanchored, uncentered, at the mercy of others. And then Jesus comes to the cross. And here the whole gospel narrative comes to its high point, its climax. St. John says he's raised up on the cross, glorified on the cross. But what happens there? First, he comes to a kind of limit of physical suffering. Crucifixion was a terrible torture. In fact, historians say one of the most brutal ways that the human mind has ever devised to put someone to death it was a slow torture involving terrible physical pain and this slow process of suffocation. What finally killed someone on the cross, they say, was the inability to breathe because a person couldn't lift himself up anymore to take a breath. So it was a slow and agonizing process, often lasting hours or sometimes days Jesus, God's own Son, enters into this limit situation of human suffering. Friends, can pain, physical pain, suffering, often isolate us from God, contribute to our sin? Yes, in some ways. It can turn us in on ourselves. Sometimes when we're really caught in terrible suffering, we stop looking out. We stop showing compassion. In entering into our physical suffering this way, Jesus brings the divine presence even there and says this too can become a conduit of grace. But all the spiritual masters agree. It was not the physical suffering of the cross that was greatest. It was the psychological and spiritual suffering of the cross. What began at Gethsemane now reaches its high point on Calvary. Jesus' identification with the rejection and abandonment of the sinner. The Son of God goes out from the Father, strips himself of godliness, and enters into the human condition of the sinner, separated from God. And so when he cries out, God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is not just the cry of a human being. In the sort of dizzying poetry of Christianity, this is the cry of God himself. The Son of God enters so thoroughly into God-forsakenness that he cries out to his Father the way we do in our despair. God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When we feel abandoned by God, When we feel isolated and alone in our sin, we know that we have a friend in Jesus who has gone to that same place out of love for us. And then Jesus, uttering a loud cry, breathes his last. The death of Jesus on the cross should always be stressed. He really died. It wasn't a show it wasn't a game it wasn't a charade jesus died and christians this means god died the son of god so identified with human death that he knows and feels what it's like to die hanser von baltasar great contemporary theologian said that he gets tired of depictions of jesus death that make it look just like a gentle sleep. You see a picture of the dead Christ, and he looks rested and comfortable, clear that he'll rise soon. Balthazar says, I prefer that terrible painting done by Hans Holbein. It's talked about by Dostoevsky and many other writers. It was done back in the 16th century. It's a painting of the dead Christ that shows him as truly dead his eyes half open, rigor mortis setting in, the wounds in his hands and feet, not little pinpricks, but terrible gashes, his jaw jutting upward as he's gasping for his last breath. When Dostoevsky, the novelist, saw that painting, he fainted dead away, and he said when he woke up, that Christ will never rise. Von Balthasar says, that's the truest depiction of the dead Christ, because it shows him as truly dead. Now, is this depressing news, Christians? No, this is the beginning of the good news, that God went into that place. Why? To get us. We who are afraid of death, now we know that the Son of God has joined us in our death. He has gone into that place that frightens us the most. If he was just playing a game, we wouldn't be saved. The fact that he died and was buried the way we will die and we will be buried shows the divine solidarity with us in that which frightens us the most. That's why the Friday coming up, despite its terror and despite its violence, is called Good Friday. Yes, it's good, it's good, because there the heart of God is opened up to us. There the salvation of God is poured out upon us. There we have solidarity with our God, even in that which frightens us the most. And so we can look forward now to Easter with a terrific confidence. We have been embraced by the divine love in the darkest place of the human condition. God bless you.